Hello, everybody. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening to Dona Gracia Nasi Part 2. Before we get started, I just want to remind you that if you'd like to reach me, you can email me at a deeper conversation 120 at gmail.com. Also, follow me on Instagram at a deeper conversation. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can certainly email me at that email address, a deeper conversation 120 at gmail.com. Or you can go to maverickpodcasting.com, click on my page, and click donate. Even $5 a month is really helpful to support the podcast and keep it going. So thank you so much. And now let's get on with talking about this extraordinary Jewish woman, Dona Graciana And when we laughed last, laughed, last left her, sorry about that, she made her way to Antwerp to join her brother-in-law. Her husband died, leaving her a widow. She is has a younger sister and a young child, a daughter, Reina. And her sister's name is Brianda, who eventually married Diogo. And she and her brother-in-law together build up the business, the family business, to one of the wealthiest fortunes in all of Europe. Now, when you have a wealthy fortune like that, everybody has their eyes on it. Everybody wants to get a piece of it, including the kings, the the Holy Roman Emperor, because wars are expensive, exploration is expensive, and that's what's going on in those times. And they really tried to, um, as much as possible, find a way to get their hands on some of it. So one of the ways for new Christians um, or crypto-Jews is to accuse them of heresy, accuse them of being secret Jews, and then their stuff gets embargoed and potentially confiscated, depending on the outcome of the court case. And actually, Diogo was imprisoned um, on these charges, and Dona Gracia really knew how to grease wheels, like when to bribe and how to bribe, but a huge outlay of money in order to get her brother-in-law ultimately freed. Um, but she was really spent a lot of her time defending her property against outside and inside attacks. Because like I said, it's a large fortune. Everybody wanted to get their hands on it. And Diogo passed away um, also young, leaving, interestingly, everything in charge of Dona Gracia, which says a lot about who she was and what he knew she was capable of. So he was married to Dona Gracia's sister, who was left nothing except for, you know, just sort of... Um, she had some sort of a monthly um, endowment that she had access to. But the entire business um, on Diogo's death was left in the hands of Dona Graciana His share was in care of, um, in her care for his daughter. They had a daughter together, um, he and Brianda. And then her share was left in care of her daughter. But she managed the entire empire upon Diogo's death. But his imprisonment made it very clear to her that she needed to leave Antwerp. And as open as Antwerp was, it was Christian Europe, and her ultimate goal is going to be Turkey, where most Jews were trying to get to because Turkey was Muslim. Another thing that happened to her while she was in Antwerp is the Queen of the Netherlands had designs on her daughter, wanting to marry the daughter off to her relative. Even though the daughter was very young, that didn't matter in those days. Marriages were made on paper for expediency, political or economic reasons, and they were trying to pressure Dona Gracia into marrying her off to this this guy. And he, this man, had made all sorts of promises to, to the queen and to the Holy Roman Emperor, saying that he would give them all this money should the marriage go through, because then he, of course, would have control of the entire fortune. And Dona Gracia did a series of overt and covert maneuvers to avoid confrontation. She said she was sick, she was out of town, she couldn't meet, and she ultimately had to put her foot down and say, absolutely not, I would rather see her dead than married to this guy, and it's not going to happen. But now she has to leave Antwerp. And very surreptitiously, she had been planning for this and had smuggled a lot of her fortune over into Venice. And 
her ultimate flight from Antwerp to Venice was in secret. So they said they were going to the, a spa in the Alps. They took whatever they could carry with them. And when the Queen soldiers kind of came to Antwerp to force another showdown, they found that she was gone and she had left and fled to Venice, where she and her sister settled. Now, Venice at the time was... Um, Venice at the time was a uh, huge metropolitan city. It was the center of fashionable Europe, and Dona Gracia's sister loved it there. Dona Gracia was getting a little bit tired of living as a Christian, really wanted to kind of throw off that um, facade, was not so interested in staying in Christian Europe in Venice, but her sister was. And what happened was, was that the sister who probably was very resentful also of the fact that Gracia controlled the entire fortune and she was just had this sort of monthly payout. Um, she picked up that sword that was lying in the middle of every Converso home and accused her sister of being a secret Jew, of being a heretic. And she unleashed this force that she then couldn't control. And so everybody's very thrilled to try to get their hands on Dona Gracia's property and embargo again. She got embargoed again for the second time. Um, the daughters were taken away from them. Both of them had two little daughters and were put in a nunnery. So imagine having your daughter kidnapped and put in a nunnery um, because they're suspected of being secret secret Jews. Um, Dona Gracia herself was put into some sort of confinement, and this lasted several years. And eventually, now, Brianda's trying to get her hands on the fortune, but this was turned against her as well, right? The sword that you use to hurt other people can also hurt yourself, I guess. So she was ultimately accused of also being a secret Jew and the entire family. It took several years, many, many bribes. Again, another huge outlay of fortune for them to be able to get out of it. And ultimately, um, Dona Gracia did get out of confinement um, in, 14, in 1549 and then left Venice to go to Ferrara which was in Italy, which was a huge city of Jews. One of the reasons it could be that Brianda, I mean, this is Cecil Roth, who is the historian that I'm using primarily as my source. Um, he speculated that the reason why Brianda created this whole um, court case and this whole drama was because she did not want to leave Venice. She did not want to go to Turkey, which was Muslim, and she probably considered it to be some sort of like a backward, um, uncultured place and was really enjoying the high life in Venice amongst the nobility and the wealthy and was had a really great life there. And uh, Gracia's intention clearly was to get to where there were more Jews, where she could live openly as a Jew, and Brianda maybe didn't necessarily agree. But either way, it's kind of interesting. I mean, she created, really put her sister's life in danger, her daughter's and her niece's life in danger, potentially had their whole fortune taken away. But Gracia brought her back into the family, and she eventually rejoined her sister and lived with her sister for the rest of her life. So, um, you know, who knows what happened in the family, what the conversations were and the you know, the things that went on between the two of them. Um, but in any event, sorry about that. In any event, what happened was, was that Dona Gracia went to Ferrara in 1550. Now, Ferrara was a city of Jews, and it was a city of scholarship, and it was also a city where there were women of great stature. One of the great women who lived there was um, Benvenida Abarbanel, who was the daughter-in-law and niece of 
Rabbi Yitzchak Abarbanel, so she married her first cousin, and she's referred to very often as Dona Gracia's rival. I guess they were both very um, strong, wealthy women who were um, patronesses and supported Talmidei Chachamim and supported Torah learning. And in fact, at this time in her life, Dona Gracia begins to support scholarship and she begins to support um, publishing. So she's almost like, imagine the art scroll of her day. She um, she produced, or she not produced, but she subsidized or paid for the first Spanish Hebrew sitter. Also a huge undertaking, a Spanish Hebrew chumash. So kind of like now you go into... Um, you go into the bookstore and you see like the stone edition, the family that was able to help defray the costs of publication, which in those days was enormous. The printing press was pretty new. Publication was very uh, expensive. A lot of things are still being copied by hand. And so she created or she paid for the um, the printing of the Spanish Hebrew Chumash, which had a huge dedication to her in the beginning and very, very beautiful. Um, and she also was involved with another work, which was very famous back in in those days and it was called um it was called the consolation for the tribulations of israel and it was written by samuel usque it was meant for the portuguese jewish community because the community the jewish community was under so much um pressure the inquisition went on for years and years and years and it was really the greatest tragedy in gullus up until the holocaust where jews were displaced and were impoverished lost their lives and it was there was so much disruption, so much chaos, so much tragedy, and there was a lot of despair because it seemed at the time that the Christians were winning and the Jews were just one discrimination, one pogrom after another, all sorts of all sorts of just just unbelievable tragedy. And so he wrote this book, Consolation for the Tribulations of Israel, meant to like describe all the things that happened to the Jews in Gullus and as a sort of like a hope, despair. There's a there's a reason why this is happening. There's a divine plan that Hashem has. And again, it was written by um it was written by Samuel Esquay, meant for the Jews of Portugal, but immediately became this like viral sensation and it was the the church tried to get their hands on it, so it became this like underground book that people copied by hand and sent to each other. And it really did what it was meant to do, which was give these beleaguered and downtrodden Jews a glimmer of light and of hope. And she was the one who was really responsible for getting it into print and distributing it widely amongst the Jewish community. So they're living in the city of Ferrara, and when they move to the city of Ferrara, Dona Gracia is in fact able to... Um, denounce Christianity, live openly as a Jew, and she's henceforth no longer known as Beatrice de Luna, but only as Dona Gracia. And she really comes into herself here first with the publishing, um, also continuing her efforts to help as many Jews as possible escape the Inquisition, using her huge resources and her um, network of merchant ships to help smuggle Jews out of places and into other places, helping them to keep their property, um, and doing whatever she can in every area possible physically and spiritually, with books, with supporting Torah scholars, with supporting synagogues and, and yeshivas to support the Jewish community in every way. Interesting side note, I said before, I just mentioned in passing, that Ferrara was a city of strong Jewish women, and this could be one of the reasons why she felt so empowered or really was able to come into herself there. Um, Benvenida Barbanel was just one, and I saw in passing, I would love to find out more information about this woman, but I haven't been able to find any. Unfortunately, there's just not a lot of record, but a woman who lived at the time in the city of Ferrara named Batsheva Fioretta Modena. 
And she was apparently Talmidah HaChama who kept a daily Seder and learned. In fact, also learning Kabbalah. And after her husband died, made her way to Tzfat. She wanted to end the days of her life, end her life in Tzfat. So she either died right before she got there or when she got there, it's unclear. But this was a city where strong women, intellectual women, women who were highly involved in the community were not uncommon. And here she really... Um, she probably wasn't in her shell beforehand, but she was certainly able to live publicly now as a Jew. And then ultimately, she made her way, which was the original plan, to Turkey. Again, moving a lot of money surreptitiously, sending her agents ahead of her, having established um, all sorts of things, um, all sorts of things that she needed to get in place just for the sake of business. And the Sultan of Turkey was very invested in having her come there. In fact, Turkey was a much better place for Jews. Jews and, and Christians actually in Turkey were on the same level, both second-class citizens to the Muslims, but it was an interesting experience for Jews coming from Christian Europe who now were li- like kind of on the same sort of social level as the Christians who live there. But they had much more opportunity to have shoals and to have yeshivas, all of which Dona Gracia supported once she got to Turkey now with her um, her daughter, her sister, her niece, her nephew became the person who was really her main agent. His name was uh, Huau, I guess, I think is how you say it, or Joseph, Yosef was his name. And he was her main agent that traveled the world, carrying out business on her behalf. So she, and one of the things, by the way, she did, which was incredibly interesting, was when she got to Turkey, she arranged to have her husband's body moved from the cemetery in Lisbon and buried in Israel. He had asked her apparently to do that before he died, and she actually got it done, which must have been an incredibly logistical feat to get him exhumed out of the Christian cemetery that he was in and have his body moved and ultimately buried in Israel. So she comes to Turkey, and she it's like a state entry when she comes and she lives there, and she lives establishes herself in style um, and lives very large there, And while she's living in Turkey, she is continuing her support of Jews throughout the world. She has yeshiva built in Turkey. She has a shul built in Turkey. Um, In Salonika as well, there's a yeshiva and a shul that she supports. She even pays for a shul. She supports a yeshiva that's built in Tveria. And her ultimate goal was to go to Tveria. This is where she wanted to end her life. Unfortunately, sadly, she never made it there. And the yeshiva that she supported there... um, fell apart after her death, I guess it was no longer being supported by her. But Cecil Roth says, and this is, I'm not a historian, so I don't know, but he says that there were 80 paupers fed at her table every day. So I'm not sure, is that 80 like a round number? Is that just an expression of exaggeration that like just to say she fed a lot of poor people? But every Jewish cause found their way to her door. So whether it was redeeming captives, like if a ship was taken over and Jews were taken captive, she was the first stop where people went and she opened up her purse and got involved. Whether it was supporting Torah scholars who were sitting and learning, she was involved with that. Continuing through the rest of her life to do her work with the refugees, getting people out of places where the Inquisition was still um, enforced and getting them to, with as much property as possible, to places where they could live openly or at least safely um, was something that she was involved in in her entire life. So one other interesting thing that happened, um, which I think is is a fascinating episode, is the Ancona boycott. So Ancona was a port city in Italy where she had several agents, and it was a very bustling um, port city. A lot of trade is going through Ancona. And what happened was, 
um, was that there were Jews who were living there who were asked, invited to live there and were living, um, uh, crypto Jews who were kind of publicly living as Jews. And then a new Pope comes to town. And one of the things that we see in medieval, um, in medieval Europe is that the fate of the Jews is so dependent on the king and whoever is in charge at the time. So it was very inconsistent and unreliable. So if there's a good king, if there's a good pope, if whoever is in power feels positively um, towards the Jews, then things were good. And then he dies, a new king comes in, a new pope comes in, um, has a different feeling, is maybe more fanatically religious, things can turn on on a dime and become negative. And this is what happened in Ancona. So Paul V became the pope in 1555, he sends a commissioner to Ancona to root out the heretics, and a lot of Jews get caught up in this. They take ultimately 50 captives. 25 of those captives claimed that they were either Christian or that they were never baptized in the first place because, again, the Inquisition is rooting out heretics. It's not rooting out Jews. Jews were expelled and forced to leave often without their property and sent from place to place, so it was not necessarily good for Jews. But the Jews that the Inquisition was involved with was finding Jews who had claimed to be Christian, went through fake baptisms in their eyes. The Christians didn't consider any baptism to be fake. They were actually kind of caught in this sort of, once you're baptized, they felt like Bidiavet, it was binding. But they were living as heretics, meaning they weren't living according to church doctrine. So the Inquisition was meant to root those Jews out. 25 of those Jews were sent into slavery because they either claimed that they were able to legitimately claim that they were never baptized or they took on to be Christians. 25 of those Jews were killed very tragically by the church. And amongst those 25 Jews who were killed um, in very public and horrible ways were some of Gracia's agents and relatives. And she was furious. And all throughout this, I mean, this wasn't something that happened immediately. You know, there's probably months or years where this is going on, where there's trials and there's court cases and she's sending letters and she even got the sultan to write a letter himself saying that he considers these Jews to be his own personal subjects. No matter, the things still happened. The Jews were killed and she immediately put into, um, she immediately put into effect a boycott of Ancona. She decided we're going to boycott the port city of Ancona and no Jews are going to do trade with Ancona from now on. This was her plan. And Cicero Roth says it was the only time in the entire Gullus until our time, I guess, with the state of Israel, that there was ever an attempt by Jews to flex their muscles and use some leverage to try to affect change to protect Jews. And it ultimately, sadly, failed. So whether it failed because that's not the role of Jews in Gullus or failed because the reason why Jews are in Gullus is because of disunity, so it's hard to know what the cause was, but the fact that she made this attempt, that this attempt happened, again, it was the only time that something like this ever happened in the entire um, in the entire Gullus to our time, and that it was, it was spearheaded by this woman who did not back down. She was ultimately defeated, but not because she lost her resolve. It created this huge division in the Jewish community because a lot of the Jews were behind her and felt like, yeah, we have to not allow Jews to be murdered and killed, and we have to show our willingness to put our, I guess, our money where our mouth is to deprive, you know, the, all the, the capitals of Europe really relied on Jewish money and economics, even though they didn't like the Jews themselves. Um, but we really need to flex our muscles to say that we're not going to stand for Jews getting killed and tortured. 
another group of Jews felt like this was putting other Jews in tremendous danger and Jews didn't have the power to enforce that kind of thing and other Jews would suffer for that. And it was this huge um, machlokas with rabbis weighing in, even Rabbi Yosef Cairo weighed in and gave opinions about what ultimately should happen. And ultimately, Dona Gracia aside, she wanted to enforce the boycott. She was defeated in this way. Interestingly, though, even the rabbis who, let's say, decided against her, wrote about her in very, very flattering ways, wrote, spoke about her very highly. It seems like almost everybody spoke about her very highly. And she submitted Shilas later in life to those same rabbis who ruled against her. So this seems on her part, she was able to kind of take herself out of it and not make this personal that this is what I want. She was genuinely doing what she thought was best for the Jewish community at the time. Um, but through for the rest of her life, she... Um, like I said, she lived in Turkey, planning ultimately to go to Tiberia, although she didn't make it, and being basically the mother and the supporter of the Jewish community throughout all of Europe and even into Israel. When she died, um, probably around the year 1569, she died at the age of 60. There were there was mourning in every Jewish community about, about her that was unprecedented in history for a woman. Um, and the things that people wrote about her, the eulogies, the poems that were written about her were unprecedented. I'll just read this one. Um, it was written by Sadia Lungo, who was a uh, poet in ordinary of the Salonika community. And he has apparently some extensive amount of work. The only time he ever wrote something dedicated to a woman was after Dona Gracia died. And he wrote, of all we treasured, most we stand bereft throughout the lands of thy dispersal Ariel, and every mother town in Israel weeps for the fate of those in anguish left. Gone is the glitter, my mourning is bitter, and broken my heart. She was called, like I said in the last clip, La Senora, so everybody knew if you said La Senora, you were talking about Dona Gracia Nasi. Anyways, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this exploration, brief though it was, into this extraordinary Jewish woman who all of us, all of us, our, us Jewish women should know more about. Thank you for listening. And you, again, you can reach me at a deeper conversation, 120 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your feedback. I'll meet you all at the next podcast.